Well, folks, this morning I want to get right into the Word, so if you'll open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be there in just a moment. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll uh, see what God has to say to us, because I believe He has a very important Word for us. Father, this morning we love You. We thank You for the opportunity, Father, to come together and to get a hold of Your Word, Father, through the power of Your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, this Word would go forth with anointing, and Lord, that Your anointing would open us up to hear and to receive that You're saying to us, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to tell you a little story about whenever I was in high school. Uh, I grew up in uh, uh, the, the central part of uh, New Mexico, and a lot of wild game around, deer, bear, turkey, all that kind of stuff, elk, and so on and so forth, grew up with it. And so I know that this story is going to sound a little outlandish, but I just want you to kind of hang in there with me. Um, there was a period of time came in my senior year where I was constantly, I mean, not every day, but quite a few days in a row, I hauled around a bear in the front of my pickup. And uh, people would come to get in my pickup, and they would have to get the bear to move over to the side so they'd even have a seat. But I, I hauled a bear around in my pickup, and uh, um, that's the story. Okay, well, some of y'all are thinking uh, he didn't. Well, I did. But basically, the reason I hauled a bear around in my pickup is became because I could not play sports. I'm uncoordinated. Uh, dribbling a basketball is just not my thing. And so instead of playing sports, I joined the cheerleading squad, and I was the mascot. And so every game that we had, I had a bear costume that I put on and, you know, the whole bear, you know, top to bottom. And then I would go out and I would cheer and go up into the audience and have fun with them. And I was, I was the school mascot. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I just have to say this, you know, the, the, the school that I graduated from was not known for anything. Does that make sense? wasn't known for its academics. It was not known for its uh, sports uh, uh, programs. And so this is what I will tell you. Some games that I went out and cheered, uh, there wasn't a whole lot to cheer about. Amen? Uh, occasionally, there was so much cheering going on on the other side of the field that I felt like changing positions. You know what I'm saying? Just walk around there for a little while so that I could cheer. Any of y'all ever had somebody cheer for you? You know? No? Okay. Well, we'll move on quickly then. I'm sure that probably all of us have had somebody that has cheered for us at one time or another where, you know, it's a, you know, dad is great. He gives us chocolate cake or whatever. I don't know. There's something, though, where somebody has probably cheered you on. Some of you, I know in your background, you've been sports stars. Many of you played in the NFL and the, uh, you know, the uh, baseball leagues, or maybe you've watched it on TV. But nevertheless, you know, you probably had somebody that was shouting and cheering you on. Maybe you don't even remember some of those cheers, but all of us at one time have probably had the opportunity to be cheered for. This morning's title is Something to Cheer About. And so that brings us to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is basically, uh, the whole sermon is in this scripture right here. Hebrews 12, verse number 1. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews here gives us a look into 
the life and times of a whole bunch of people in the preceding chapter. In chapter 11, it's actually known as the Hall of Faith. So many individuals that came before us, came before the writing of this, uh, uh, of this book here, these amazing men and women of faith are written about in, in Hebrews chapter 11. People like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and, and Samson and Jephthah and Samuel and David and Samuel. All of these individuals are written about. The Bible says these men and women had this amazing thing called faith and they used this faith. So the whole chapter 11 is about faith. And so the writer of Hebrews gets to verse number one in chapter three and he says this, he says, therefore. So we have to tie these two together. We got to tie the hall of faith, chapter 11, together with the first verse of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, therefore, because we here on this earth, we are also surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, they've gone before us. Moses, he's there. I'm just telling you, he's there. He's there in spirit right now, but he's there. Enoch is there. Uh, David, King David is there. Are y'all there? Sarah is there. Rahab, the one who let the spies down. It's just amazing. All of these Old Testament people, they're there. They've gone before us, and this is what I'm telling you. They are waiting on our arrival. I'm, I'm just telling you this. They're waiting on our arrival. They know we're coming, and they're waiting on our arrival. Hebrews chapter 11, one of the things that you're going to see over and over again written is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. This morning i got to explain something to you before we really get deep into this, is the race is talked about here in Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us, ever, let us lay off, aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race. How many of you all know that we're running a race? I imagine everybody does in here. We are running a spiritual race. I am running from this point right here. I am running so as that I can arrive at point B, and that is in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm running so that I can get to point B, so that I can rub shoulders with Abel and Enoch and Joseph and all of these amazing people in the Old Testament. Hey, man, I might even get a house right next to Noah. You know what I'm saying? Man, I'm going to tell you something. I'll be over at his house all the time. I bet he has some awesome stuff in his house. I'll say, hey, Noah, come on, tell me about the flood. Come on, Noah, tell me about this. We're, we're, we're running this race, and this race is a race of endurance. It's not something that just, you know, here one, one day you're here at point A, and next day, you know, you're at point B, unless something happens drastically to your life. I know a lot of people that prayed a prayer to receive Jesus and just moments later died or days later died. But folks, I've been running this race for 40 years, and I'm going to keep running this race until I finally arrived at the destination. But the thing I want us to remember is this. This race that we are running is not a race that is horizontal. 
horizontal means this way. Because see, whenever we talk about a race, if I said, Johnny, come on, me and you, let's go outside, and I'm going to let you race Dalton. See, you guys would be racing. I mean, Johnny's going to wipe him out, but that's, I mean, Dalton's going, ah, I could get it. But if we took them out in the parking lot, their race would be horizontal. They would be running across the parking lot. The race that you and I are running, this race that is spoken about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, is a vertical race. And so I, I, I brought me a balloon this morning. And the reason that I brought me this balloon is because I have something important I want to show you. This balloon, if it was not clipped onto this little podium here, would float upwards. And that is, friends, neighbors, relatives, what you and I's spirit is wanting to do. It's wanting to go up. The helium that has inflated this balloon is forever pulling upwards on it. And if I let go of it, if it wasn't, if it was see, if I, if I just let go of it, see, it's, it, would, it would go. I bought a big balloon, so it would go. So I have to keep it very carefully tied on to this podium because it wants to go. But see, the writer of Hebrews says that we should lay aside every weight because this vertical race that we're running, weights have a way to weight us down. Now, is that not the most amazing statement you've ever heard? Yes. See, if Johnny and Dalton were really racing whenever they went outside, Dalton's going to be taking all the change out of his pockets. He's going to take his wallet out. He's going to be saying, man, take my belt. I, I don't want to have any more weight than I have to. Now, Johnny, you know, Johnny's seasoned. And so, man, he's over here going, man, I don't need to take anything out of my pockets. I'm okay. Because he knows that Clinton's going to give him a ride whenever he's on this race. So, <laughs> Dalton can't beat a truck. This balloon is pulling, it's pulling upwards. Our spirits are pulling upwards. They're saying, man, we're going towards Jesus Christ. But I don't know about you all, but I have experienced the weights before that have held me down from the race that God has called me to, 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 to run. I brought with me this morning a little padlock, and this padlock literally is a good example of the weights they get a hold of us. They literally lock us to the earth. And whatever it is that they lock us to, it's generally heavy enough to keep us from progressing upward as God has called us to. He says, guys, listen, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every one of those weights Folk, we can get encumbered by all different kinds of things. We can get so infatuated with the things of this world that they weight us down. It could be our career. It could be, man, keeping up with the Joneses. It could be, you know, I need four more bathrooms and three more bedrooms. I don't know. Are y'all following what I'm saying? I mean, there's all kinds of weights. We can get encumbered by, you know, uh, I, even somebody that we go after in, our, in a relationship. You know, our husbands, our wives, our girlfriends, our boyfriends. And we can, we can be encumbered by all of these weights. But we can also have sin. I mean, doing things that we know we shouldn't do, they weight us down. And it's just like that lock. We're literally locked to them. I know of so many people and even myself at various times in my life that it literally felt like I was locked to whatever it was that I was trying to get free of. 
Because see, the moment that you get free, the moment that Jesus Christ comes with the lock, see, I don't have the key to that lock this morning. I can't undo it. But Jesus can. He has the key to unlock any kind of weight and get it off of us. He has, the, he has the ability to literally, if he doesn't have the key to the lock, he can break the chains. Hello. You see, God, in his amazing way that he deals with our lives, he can take any weight, he can take any hindrance, and he can take it off of us that enables us to run the race without hindrance. We're running a vertical race, not a horizontal race. So let us be very careful and lay aside every weight, every sin that could keep us down. Because I don't know about you all, but it is not my life's goal to be kept down. Amen? My life's goal is to one day set foot in the very presence of Jesus Christ. So let me read you this Hebrews 12.1 out of the Message Bible. I don't think we've got it on the screen, but it says, Do you see what this means? All of those pioneers who blazed the way, all of those veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get with it. Strip down. Start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. I love the way it says it. Those veterans, those pioneers are cheering us on. And now this morning, just kind of get a picture of this. The writer of Hebrews says that there's this cloud of witnesses. He's just named a whole bunch of them in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But the writer says that there's all of these witnesses, this cloud, this great cloud of witnesses is around us, and they're cheering us on. They're saying, man, come on, why else would they just be standing there with their arms crossed? I believe that they're cheering us on. Now, this is what I will tell you. I don't know if these veterans or these uh, uh, pioneers of the faith, I don't know if they're just going to be at the finish line, because that could very well be it. They're just going to be at the finish line. When we come to the finish line, man, they're going to they're be cheering, yay, J.D., you made it! Woo! Okay. Or maybe they're not only at the finish line, but maybe they're all the way along the racetrack. Because you see, whenever they run a marathon up in New York or Boston or wherever it's at, they have people all along the racetrack and they're cheering them on. Y'all know that? I mean, hey, number 12, way to go. Number 28, they don't have any idea who they are, but they're clapping, run, run, Forrest, run. I mean, they're, no, that's a different movie. Okay, so this morning, we've got this, in any way you want to look at it, whether you look at it as they're there at the finish line or whether you, I like to look at it as they're all along the way. All along the way, just cheering me on in the spiritual realm. So this morning, what kind of things does my life give them to cheer about? Well, whenever you're here in the natural, whenever I was wearing that costume, running around crazy, we cheered for touchdowns, and we would have cheered for home runs, but there was never any, you know? I mean, as, as normal human beings, we cheer for our kids whenever they, you know, take their first step, you know, yeah, then, you know, about a year later, sit down and don't ever move again. We cheer for them to say their first word. Oh, did you hear that? They said that. Oh, it's all, yay, way to go. Oh, that's so silly. 
We cheer for people at graduations, all kinds of things. But what kind of things do you think these Old Testament veterans, what do you think they cheer about? Well, I'm just kind of curious. That I wonder how often that they actually cheer about things that I'm doing. Does that make sense? Playing football and out on the field, you know, as a mascot, guys playing. I mean, honestly, there was very little to cheer about. You know what I'm saying? They just, you know, we, we used to get beat 40-something to nothing. You know, it was just awful. It was terrible. So, you know, we, we used to cheer for them, you know, oh, way to go, you tied your shoe right. But what kind of things do you think this, this great cloud of witnesses cheers about? How often do they cheer? I wonder how often they cheer for Trinity Church. As I said earlier, sometimes uh, our, our mascot was a grizzly. He didn't look like much a grizzly. He looked more like a, a teddy bear, but just bigger. But the Carrizozo Grizzlies really didn't give the cheer team a whole lot to cheer about. And I wonder sometimes if that's kind of like my life with these veterans, these pioneers. And then I begin to think, I want to be somebody who gives these veterans a lot to cheer about. You know what I'm saying? I'd like to be somebody that just keeps them on their feet all the time. You know, this morning we gave a standing ovation to Jesus. Basically, that's what it was. We stood, we clapped, we cheered for Jesus Christ. We, we praised him. And this morning I'm thinking, man, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, that as we're walking or running along this race, there are people in the, in the, uh, uh, at the side of where the pathway for the runners are, and they're literally giving us a standing ovation. I want to be somebody that gives those veterans something to cheer about, to stand at their feet and really cheer about it. So this morning I put together a list, and I'm going to go through them rather quickly. There's a lot to be said perhaps for every one of them. I could probably teach a whole sermon on them, but this morning we're going to go through them pretty quickly. I've identified several things that I believe or I am certain about this group of witnesses would be cheering about. Are you all ready for this? The first one is this, love God. Whenever they see us as a body of believers, as they see us as individuals, they're going to be, they're going to be cheering whenever we love God. Amen? In fact, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 38 says this. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. So here is a commandment given by the Word of God to do what? To love God. And folks, I can tell you there's a lot of times that are in my life that, oh, deep down inside of me, I love God. But let me tell you something. Talk is cheap, amen? It's cheap. I mean, husbands, we can tell our wives we love them all day long, but I'm telling you, we need to do so as that they will know we love them, amen? And spouses, it's the same way for your husbands. I've seen some children one time that were just so horribly abused and neglected by their parents and they were being taken away and the court proceeding was taking place and the parents are there and say, well, you know, we love our kids so much. 
But I'm telling you now, this wasn't just some little bit of abuse. This was abuse that literally terminated their parental rights. And I mean, they should have gone to prison for what they did to these kids. I'm saying to myself, man, they didn't love these kids. If they had loved these kids, they would have been a good mother and father to these kids. Amen? And so here we go. We got we to gotta understand that if we want to give these saints, these pioneers, these, these individuals that line the path or perhaps stand at the finish line, something to cheer about, folks, they find you and I loving on God. I'm telling you, they're going to get up most going to go, yeah, way to go, way to go. I'm sorry. Y'all are just not there where I'm at this morning. It's going to be saying that. The next one is this. We've got to be a body of believers. We've got to be individuals that speak the word of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I talked about the word of God being voice activated. We've got to activate it with our voice. And I will tell you this. I believe there's many times the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, speak the word over that situation. And we are so timid sometimes. I'm going to sound really weird doing that. I'm telling you, we need to be individuals that stand up and speak the word of God. We need to speak the word of God over this virus. We need to speak the word of God over our finances that might be lagging. We need to speak the word of God over individuals that have health issues. We got to speak the word. And you go, Pastor, what are you talking about speaking the word? Let me just read you out of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, 23. It says, so Jesus answered and says to them, have faith in God. You see, just the day before he had cursed this fig tree, walked by, there wasn't any fruit on it. So he cursed it. And the next day they're all walking by it. And the disciples go, my goodness gracious. Did you see did that? He cursed that tree yesterday. And now it is dead as a door, doornail. Does anybody know what a doornail is? Cause I don't, but they're evidently dead. Okay. So, so Jesus, he says, guys, he says, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to, not a fig tree, but he moves it way up in scale. He says, whoever says this mountain, remember this, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he asks. Did y'all, did y'all get the thing? Jesus is saying, speak it. Speak it. Jesus, speak the word. In fact, there was one that came to him and said, Jesus, listen, man, you don't need to come to my home. I'm not even worried to have you in my home. But he said, speak the word only and my servant will be made well. Speaking the word of God is something I'm telling you that's going to get Noah on his feet. He's going, yeah, way to go. Speak the word. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You guys are just not there this morning. This next one is... Pretty easy said, but sometimes a little difficult to pull it off. Serve one another. And I know everybody in here loves to be a servant, yes? Maybe not so much. This is 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each of you, each of you, each of us, let's say it, should use whatever gift you have received. And everybody in this church has received a gift. Received a gift. In fact, so many of us have multiple gifts. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, pretty simple, to serve others. I can tell you that many times we are very interested about us being served and not so much about others. <clears throat> <clears throat> Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Whew. 
I just needed to clear my throat there. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So here you got the Bible telling us, and I'm telling, folks, God is, is, he's got this cloud of witnesses, this great assembly of witnesses. And I mean, Abel, y'all remember Abel? He, he, he ended kind of a bad way, but he gave that sacrifice to God that was right. And now Abel, he's up there in heaven. He's waiting on us. And Whenever you and I serve, whenever we serve, when we genuinely serve somebody, you way to go, JD, serving, baby, serving. That's the way the kingdom works right there. This next one, Acts 20, 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Folks, you and I should be generous people. Can, can I just tell you something? One of, one of the things whenever people have spiritual problems and they come to me as a pastor, one of the questions that I ask them as we begin to make our way through the problems that they're going through, I ask them this question. It's one of the very first ones I ask them. I said, are you tithing? I've never met anybody that was deep in spiritual problems. And whenever I say that, I mean... I'm not talking about the enemy coming against them, but I'm just talking about them struggling spiritually. I've never met anybody that was tithing and going through the spiritual problems. And you're going, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything? I'm telling you that your wallet, until you open it up to God, you cannot open any of the rest of your life up to God. I'm just saying. It's one of those things that need to be said. And we as a people need to be generous. We need to be generous. It's, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I'm, I'm thankful that God gave me a wife that's generous and has trained me over the years to be generous. I, I'm, I'm thankful for people who are generous with what they have. And you have to understand this. This is not just about finance, but it's about everything we have. Our time, our money, what we know, to be generous with it. I can't be too generous with what I know because I don't know much. But anyway, okay, this next one's easy. Help fellow believers get back on the right path. And you go, what are you talking about? Folks, we got people around us that struggle every day of their lives. And one of the things that it is, it is imperative that people who are more seasoned with the Holy Spirit, more seasoned with the Word, more seasoned with God, it's imperative that we help those around us that are struggling. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law, law, the law of Christ. We're supposed to help individuals. Let me tell you what happens most of the time in the church whenever somebody really stumbles and falls. We say, uh -uh, <clears throat> would you find another church to go to? I'm serious. I'm serious. I have seen so many times the church abuse individuals that have fallen into sin. Folks, but by the grace of God, there go I. And now whenever you go to them and if they're absolutely indignant and they're not going to repent and they have that spirit that they're, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm going to keep doing it, that's a whole different matter. But that happens so, so rarely. 
Most of the time, whenever you go to somebody and you say, man, I want to help you, they'll say, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm dying here. It's like I'm out in the water and I'm going under. And you're saying, man, I've got a life jacket right here in my hand and I'm going to help you and we're going to swim through this in Jesus' name. Help those individuals get back. I'm telling you, whenever you're generous, I can't even remember the, the whole list. Gideon, man. Gideon's one. You're generous. Gideon's going to be going like, yeah, give it away, baby. Give it away. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Whenever you're coming alongside of a fellow believer and, and linking arms with them and praying with them and believing with them, getting them back on track, I'm telling you, this whole cloud of witness, David and Samuel are going to be, whoa, whoa. Can you imagine, Sam, see Samuel? I always thought he was pretty reserved. But I'm thinking Samuel's going to be out of his nuts. I mean, out of his mind, nutty for you and I, screaming, ah, oh, man, you are awesome. You are going. You are doing it in Jesus' name. This next one's pretty easy, too. Do what is good. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all, all humil humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior." Folks, we need to be good. We need to do good. Why? Because of the grace of God that's been poured out on us. Can I just say this? There should never be any mean Christians. If you think you have a right to speak to a customer service representative over the phone and chew into them because they're not getting it right, I promise you this, in Jesus Christ, you do not have that right. Yeah, but they messed up and they You can still be kind. You can, you can be kind to that little girl that's 15 years old working at Wendy's and she shorted you an order of fries and you got, you know, 100 yards down the road before you dipped in that bag and there wasn't any fries in there. And now you've gone back and you're going to give her a piece of your mind. I'm just saying, we can be kind to people. We can be good to people, even people that aren't good to us. I think somewhere in the Bible it says we're supposed to be loving our enemies. This next one's pretty simple as well. We need to be people who read the Bible, study the Bible. We got a creek cloud of witnesses that we need to give them something to cheer about. And I'm telling you, whenever you're out and about town and, and man, you just about had it up to here, and yet in having it up to here, you still do something that's kind and you are still doing something that's good. Are you all there? Because the grace of God that's been given to you, I'm telling you, the, the whole thing, they stand up and applaud you and, and, and they cheer you. 
Whenever you open up your Bible and you begin to study it because you want to know more about this Jesus, you want to know about more about all that He is. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit. and The Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. That's what the Word does. And then whenever we're found studying our word, I mean, whenever that great cloud of witness looks over, oh, whoa, I almost missed it. Watson, way to go, baby. Dig it out. Dig it out. Never mind. Y'all aren't with me. This next one's easy, too. We got to yell no every once in a while. Do y'all realize that? We got to yell no to temptation. Because there are temptations everywhere. And I'm not talking about eating an extra chocolate piece of chocolate. That's not the temptations I'm talking about. I'm talking about the temptations that the enemy tries to bring to us that's going to ultimately ensnare our soul, those weights, those sins that hold us down from this vertical race that we're racing on. we got to yell no to temptation. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation that comes along, God is right there, and He's making a way of escape for you. And most of the time, that way of escape is just to say, no, no, I ain't going to go there. I ain't going to do that. We're not going there. Uh Uh-uh. No. No. And man, whenever that great cloud of witnesses sees us saying no to that temptation, I'm telling you, it breaks out. Wow! Way to go! You guys are just not there with me, but I'm there. Because you see, I want to give that great cloud of witnesses something to cheer about in my life. I don't want to go all the way through my life and get there. And I mean, man, they said, man, Watson, I wish you'd have given me something to cheer about. I said, man, I grew up in Carazozo. There's nothing to cheer about there. Dirt and rocks. That's the only thing they're famous for. Carazozo Grizzlies. I was so thankful, though, I graduated in the top 20 of my class. Man, whenever I used to live in Denver and Houston, I'd say the top 20, and they'd go, whoa, genius boy here. But there were only 21 seniors, so it was pretty easy to graduate there. My oldest brother graduated as a valedictorian in his class in Cuamado, New Mexico. There were six seniors. Six. Six. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. And Jesus Christ has made a way for us to get out of this temptation. We ought to be saying no a lot more. This next one is perhaps a little bit more difficult. In Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, it says this. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of those afflicted and needy. There is a time where you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, need to defend those who are in need. We need to defend those who are in need. Last week I said something, perhaps maybe a little a bit controversial, but I just, I just tell this to every Christian out there. Before you fill out that little bubble on your ballot, make sure that you are voting for somebody that is pro-life. 
Because if there was anybody on this planet that needed people to stand up and speak for them, it is the unborn child in the womb. Period. That's just the way it is. We need to stand up for the needy. We need to stand up for the unborn. We need to stand up for poor people. You go, what are you talking about poor people? Folks, there are legitimate poor people in this nation. That they are, they, They're hardworking people, but they are poor. And there is a way for you and I to be their voice because those people are the ones many times that are, they are they're marginalized by communities just because they're poor. The homeless, and folks, I don't know how many, how many homeless people out there got homeless because of some stupid thing they did, but for the grace of God, I could be right there because I've done a whole lot of stupid things. And if you ever want a, 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 a whole a metric of our society that is voiceless, it is the homeless people. Many times they're not just whole, uh, voiceless, but they are absolutely invisible. My youngest son being down in, in uh, Atlanta at the school there, one of the things that they did uh, every week on a weekly basis is they would literally reach out. Atlanta is literally, literally the hub for the United States in, in the area of sex trafficking. Atlanta, Georgia. And every week they would go out on the streets and minister to young ladies that uh, uh, their lives were just in a mess. And you go, how could that happen in the United States of America? Well, forget that question. Because I'm not exactly sure how it happens, but I will tell you this. It happens, and it happens on a scale that would boggle our imaginations today. The end of slavery didn't take place with the Emancipation Proclamation. The end of slavery is going to take place whenever every person that is today held in bondage and sex trafficked all over the world, whenever it ends. We have to give them a voice. We have to give aliens to this country a voice. And let me just say this, and you may disagree with me, I don't care. We need to give illegal aliens a voice. And you go, well, I don't agree with illegal aliens. I don't agree with crossing the border illegally too, but the fact of the matter is we've got 11 million people here in this nation that have crossed the border illegally. And folks, that's a marginalized section of our community so often, and the church needs to give them a voice. Amen? I'm not telling you they're right about crossing the border, y'all there, but they're here nonetheless. Whenever those that are in that great cloud of witnesses, they see us giving a voice to those that are voiceless, defending those that need to be defended. You know what they're doing? It's coming. You know what I'm saying? There's David and Joseph and Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, baby, man, do it. That's what God wants you to do. Woo! Did you see him? Did you see what he just did? Oh, give me five, baby. I'm sorry. You're not with me, but I'm, I'm there. Next one's pretty easy. Invite others to Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of ways we can do it. I just talked about small group ministry a few moments ago, and I will tell you this. I, I hope that those two friends you have are not even saved. And you invite them to come and be a part of your small group. They'll come to your house way, way easier than they'll ever set foot in this building. 
I have a good friend that has a small group ministry in uh, California, and they did a campaign similar to this, and and uh, they had a guy getting baptized in the middle of this campaign, and he's in the tank, and he goes, yeah, he said, I got saved in my small group, and I just started a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I got saved, and and so the person was in the baptismal tank. He said, well, well, tell us who your small group leader is, and, and you know, we'll get them to, to come up here and be part of this baptism. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, uh, I'm the leader. Because he was sitting in the audience about three weeks earlier, and the pastor had said, any one of you that have two friends, you can start a small group. And he did. Threw that church into shock. They go, how in the world could we have small group leaders that aren't even saved? Had a meeting on Monday, and they said, oh, well, I think it's okay. God was okay with it. Come on. We need to invite people to our small groups. We need to invite people to church. We, we need to talk to them about Jesus Christ. I mean, for heaven's sake, Jesus Christ has become this thing oftentimes that Christians keep real secret. You know, it's like some kind of a bad rash. You know, we don't want anybody to know about it. But this is what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And folks, we got to know that we cannot be shy about telling people about Jesus. I mean, so many times we're, we're undercover believers. This next one's pretty easy as well. Pray for one another. We got to pray for one another. I'm telling you, this cloud of witnesses sees us on our knees. It's just like this morning. See, we got a text message this morning that we needed to pray for missionaries that are discouraged. And that's why we did. Because see, I believe that, that God uses our prayers to help other people. In James 5, 15 and 16, it says, And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Man, they see us praying for one another. And I mean, we do that all the time. We pray for one another. There's a few of you sitting in this room that literally... God has taken my sleep away praying for some of y'all. And I am just about glad. I mean it. Because I believe prayer changes things. And I believe even when God has woken you up and getting you to pray, it's good. Amen? Oh, this next one you're going to love. Are y'all ready for this? I kind of save this one almost for last because it's so good. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. <laughs> this next one is sometimes we just need to zip our lips. There's things we could say that we certainly need to keep to ourselves. Thank you. And you know how come I know that so well? First of all, because I've said things that I should have never said. And secondly, things have been said to me that should have never been said. Come on. Our words are important. My mom used to say this all the time. She said, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. I'm telling you, I, did, I had no idea she was a philosopher. 
I'm telling you, that's good. that's good right there. That's Bible. That's actually Bible. I can scripturally tell you why that is exactly true. And this last one, Jared, if you'll help me come and close. Mark 16, 15. See, I think as you run along this race, this vertical race, and you begin to unencumber yourselves, God begins to unlock that lock and all of a sudden weights begin to fall off and all of a sudden your life, I don't want to let it go because I promised it to one of my grandkids. It would be difficult to get down from the ceiling. But I tell you, there's pull on this balloon. And if it was not clipped to this, it would go up. So we need to be unencumbered. We need to take those weights and get rid of them. We need to take those sins that so easily beset us and we need to get rid of them. But this morning, I just wonder if there's anything that would get the whole crew on their feet. Does that make sense? Because as I'm running along, you know, and I pass Abel and he sees me, not Abel, my grandson, I'm talking about Abel, Adam and Eve's son. As I pass him and as I pass David and as I pass Moses and I pass Jeremiah and I pass Isaiah and I pass all of these amazing people that are written about, that this, this scripture tells us that we are surrounded by this cloud of veterans that right now are clapping for us and going, man, run. As I go by them and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering all of these points and a whole lot more. I wonder if there's one central thing that could ever get all of them on their feet. I think there's actually two. I think whenever I make it all the way there, I think they're all going to be on their feet going. <laughs> I think they're going to say, well, way to go, Watson, you made it. Well, yeah, baby. We were nervous there a few times, but you pulled it off. Yeah, way to go. I think all of them will be on their feet. The whole mass Everyone, this great cloud of witnesses, but I also think there's one more thing that'll get them on their feet as well. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says this, and he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And see, as we go preaching that gospel, that amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, there's going to come times where someone is going to respond to the preaching. I can remember a few years back going into a... Um, a uh, apartment complex to visit somebody. For what reason I was going to visit them, I don't know. It's been too long ago. But as I got out of my car and I walked by the area that was designated for the children's playground, there was a young man sitting in that playground, just sitting there, wasn't doing anything. And he kind of caught my eye because he was just, you know, a few feet from me, went into the apartment complex, knocked on the door, knocked on the door, nobody home. So, you know, I'd missed them, wasted trip. And so I came back down, going to my car. As I'm coming down the stairs, just right behind him, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, I want you to minister to him. And I said, oh God, I'm way behind. I don't have time to do it. He said, just do what I tell you to. So I, so I walked over. I said, hey man, let me tell you who I am. I'm just, I'm from this church. And so anyway, I began to convert with him and and I began to share the gospel, began to find out that he was really in a really difficult situation. I'll make a long story really short, but there just came a time in the midst of my gospel presentation to him where I said, 
Would you like to pray with me? Would you like to receive Jesus? Would you like to put this whole life that you've been living behind you and experience this thing God calls being born again? And as a young guy, probably in his early 20s, he looked at me and he goes, yeah. And I said, no, I mean, really. Would you? And he goes, yeah, really. And I led that guy to Jesus Christ that day. And it changed his whole life. It wasn't very long until he had his whole family there with him. His wife was born again. His kids were following Jesus. They were actually in our children's ministry. And it was just such an amazing thing. And I will tell you this. Whenever you preach the gospel and somebody responds, that cloud of witnesses, folks, gets busy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they get busy because you've just given them the ultimate thing to cheer about, what their Savior, what their Lord laid his life down for has just been achieved. Salvation, born again. I'm telling you, that's whenever old Moses, everybody thinks, oh, Moses is this big guy, like, you know, he's all, you know, old and gray. I'm telling you, he ain't like that. Moses is throwing backflips, baby. I mean, bling, 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 bling. I'm thinking David is doing it too. I think he threw some backflips whenever he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. That's why his wife was all crazy about it. I'm saying to you, man, we have got to be a people that gives these folks something to cheer about. Amen? We got to have a life that gives them something to cheer about. Whenever we wake up in the mornings, a thought you should run across our minds of, hey, I need to give Moses some cheer about today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering, is if in this cloud of witnesses, there's also one that would stand that is called the morning star, the rose of Sharon, the almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that would stand and say, man, you're on, baby. You're on. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're living your life like I need you to live your life. This list could have been another hundred long, but I didn't figure y'all wanted to sit through that. We gotta allow our lives to go up and we gotta do what he's called us to do, live like he's called us to live so that we give him something to cheer about. Father, this morning we thank you for the word. There's power in this word, Lord. And this morning, I pray a prayer over every person in this room, every person that's listening online. I pray, Father, that we will be a people with the tenacity of a bulldog. We lock onto this and we say, my life is going to count. My life is going to count. I am going to do something for the kingdom. And Lord, we go out and we begin to, through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, we begin to do things that are cheerworthy that caused this great cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by to have something to stand up and cheer about. We ask it in Jesus' name. May we be a people that gives heaven a whole lot to shout about in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. Have an amazing weekend. I pray that you uh, get up tomorrow morning 
and find something that's going to make them cheer. Amen? God bless you.